and welcome to the Junkyard Love Podcast. to start it out welcome to the junkyard love podcast i'm really i'm really pumped to talk to both of you today um i wanted to kind of read just a little uh, glimpse of your bio here that was sent over to me um and then maybe you two can elaborate on it and introduce yourselves and tell everybody what you do so well so um irwan and alicia davon uh use their backgrounds in zen buddhism psychology and women's sexuality studies to develop the pleasure course which has helped thousands achieve their ideal love lives they provide a safe, a safe place to explore psychological inquiry, pleasure, and sexuality. Recently, their work has focused on pandemic-related intimacy issues with singles, dating intimacy during the pandemic, and couples physically close but losing connection. I think it's wonderful what you guys do. I think it's a great time for that sort of thing right now. So welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi. Great, <laughs> great to, to be, be here. here. Yeah. So what... I love him. God, I love that we do that. Yeah, you know, I, know. I appreciate you reading it. <laughs> I love that. The reflection is nice. Thank you. Yeah, 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 of course. So um, give me give me kind of a, a how'd you get into this? I mean, Erwan, I, I think it was uh, in 1995 you started doing this. And yeah, then Alicia joined later. background first. Okay, 1995, I had a very far out love life. I had a very far out girlfriend, I had a very far out love life, was going to the University of California, Santa Cruz, uh, you know, which is a place that's just kind of open for possibility, especially in 1995. And that was, I was studying psychology and that was after needing a, an enormous amount of psychological help as a teenager. I was in psychoanalysis multiple days a week. I had an obsessive compulsive disorder. My family had basically been destroyed. My mother left when I was seven. My father was a street fighter. My mother died when I was 15. I'd barely seen her since I was seven. Like, and it just goes on and on and on and on. That's, that's the good part. Okay. <laughs> so I did a ton of psychological work, started in New York, came out to California and took every possible workshop I could, you know, anything and everything. I'm running around the room, waving my arms. I'm doing primal therapy. I'm studying psychology. I'm in, you know, all the rest of this kind of stuff. And in the middle of all that, I realized what I was the most passionate about, the most interested in, especially after I kind of sorted myself out psychologically, was women. I was really interested in women. I was written, now this is, it, it, not, saying that now feels like, well, so is everybody. <laughs> but for me, it was like a big, you know, like, aha, wow, okay, I know what I'm interested in, right? After I sort of sorted myself out. 
Having taught all those workshops, I was teaching for one of the world's largest organizations. Then I just branched out, started uh, teaching about romance and relationship. It was more about kind of sex and a wild lifestyle early on, because that's what I was living. Long story short, later on, Alicia came into the picture, uh, uh, what, what do you, what do you tra trained me or husbanded me or what do you, what do you say? Turned me into a husband or how do you, yeah, what do you say? What's, there's did. a word for that. Yes. Um, uh, I don't like the word tame because tame. you are my wild man. Yeah. Yeah. But so, something domesticated. domesticated. That's yeah, there you go. There you go. That works. Domestication. You know, so, so one of the biggest things we support people in now is if, you know, if they're single getting into relationships or if they're in a couple, how do you have, a domestic situation, much less in a pandemic, that's still rocking, that's still hot, that's still yeah, right. turned on. Yeah. So that's how I that's how I got into it. How about you? Yes. Yeah. So I was <laughs> I had like the opposite upbringing okay. as Erwan. I grew up in LA, had a really stable family, a little brother, two parents. They're all great. You know, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. It was nice. It was kind of a bubble, you know, it was sheltered. And of course I had issues like everybody had issues. But as I went through college, I started to feel like, is this all there is that question? Like, I'm pretty comfortable. Things are okay. And there was this sneaking in of like depression and emptiness. And what is this? And that drove me into therapy and like Erwan was describing these workshops, I'd go to these incredible like women's in workshops and we were in sweat lodges and drumming and all this kind of stuff. And I had these really powerful awakenings like, oh my gosh, there is way more to life than I thought. So it starts me on the path of psychology. I went to grad school, got a master's in psychology. And then I remember the moment where I realized I was totally obsessed with not just psychology, but sexuality, female sexuality, and how that jives with our psychology. And I was like holed up in the library, reading these old texts at my grad school, trying to like get information really about myself, right? And my body and opening and everything. And I couldn't quite like scratch the itch that way, reading books, even though books are great. And one day my friend Shana in my program was like, Alicia, I just met this guy, Erwan, you have to meet him. You know, he teaches these classes in San Francisco all about pleasure and orgasm and being present in relationship. I'm like, I got to get to this guy like right away. So she brings me over to Erwan's and he was leading this group. There were like 20 people in the room sitting around in a circle doing these communication games. And I remember walking, like literally crossing the threshold of his front door and feeling like I just came on to ecstasy or something. I'm like, this is amazing. And people were like looking into each other's eyes as they were talking and talking about real stuff, you know? So I got interested. I was very interested in Erwan. I, <laughs> I was in another relationship at the time that was like going downhill and this made it go downhill way faster. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. We broke up and then, you know, we have a long, funny story of how we got back into touch, but we, we came back together. We started dating and like Erwan was just rocking my world in all ways. And so I never left. Wow. Wow. Wonderful. And now you guys do this together and you've expanded your teachings and you've, you've progressed over time and, and I'm sure just gotten better and, and, uh, uh, 
you know, ma- made your program more specific. It's so, so what, what have you found? I mean, I, I really like sticking in where you're, where you guys have been working on, um, helping people during the pandemic, because I feel like that probably totally threw a curveball to what you guys typically do. I mean, cause you, you did live events before. And so that's yeah. suddenly not able to do that. So how, how did it change when the pandemic hit? How did your guys's work change? Well, it was, it was actually a, um, change that we were slowly making anyways, bringing our classes online. And this just kind of pushed us to do it really quickly. So luckily we had been doing some teaching online and some coaching and some of our classes. So we just moved everything online really quickly. And it was amazing because not only our current students, but lots of people were looking for connection and kind of like, what am I going to do? I can't go to bars and parties and this and that. So, you know, our mastery of relationship class that was primarily in person expanded like to three times the size online within a couple of months. And it was like, not that I wanted the pandemic to happen at all, but it was actually, there were some positive things that came out of it um, in terms of our teaching and being able to reach people all over the world. You know, basically we embraced change. And when it happened, we just said, yes, okay, <laughs> you know, what's what's required here? There was always a lot of innovation and change in what we do by the very nature of it. And the organization actually kind of had that, that uh, theme as well. So when the pandemic came, we were like, okay, you know, online, great, boom, boom, boom. You know, in three weeks, we were completely set up. We were just, you know, like that. And we found it was really surprising because you can touch people and be touched by people and reach people through Zoom online in ways that I wouldn't have thought. It's because the, you know, the spirit or the being, yeah, sort of in the body in a particular way, but it's also not really limited to that. So if people are really present, like we just met you, Jacob, but like, I feel you, you feel us. There's a lot of affinity. There's a closeness. We're in each other's space. We're in each other's experience. Like we're actually very close in a particular way. If we're willing to acknowledge it, since we're being open, you're being very open. We're a little open. (laughs) So, you know, it's, we just kind of embraced change in a situation and, from Alicia's history of having a, you know, great parents, I have great in-laws. She's got a kind of natural ability to do that. For me, all the difficulties I've had to undergo, I also have an ability to embrace change and romantic relationship really requires that. And the pandemic really requires that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I even noticed just in this podcast, because I, I started out um, doing in-person, I had, I had a nice little studio set up. Um, and then once... COVID came around, had to switch to Zoom, and uh, I, I, it took me a little bit, you know, And but I, I started kind of realizing what, what you just said is you really can get a good connection on here, as it turns out. Um, you can really kind of just lock into the conversation with, with one another. It is a little bit different than um, um, in person, but I, I was I was pretty pretty happy with how quickly I was able to adjust and the guests are able to adjust and we can be here with one another. Um, so what, what are you guys seeing co- coming up S- since the pandemic? Um, what, what's, wh- what are the, the people in your audiences, the, the people you guys are working with, um, what's coming up a lot? Like what are some, some common issues, um, some, some things that some listeners may be able to, to go, Oh, that's, that's happening with me. I, I would love to hear that, that explained. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is that like any big you know, crisis or big event, it, it exacerbates things that are already there. So for example, a lot of people, we work with both singles and couples. And of course, as singles, especially with the pandemic, but even beforehand, online dating is a huge thing. It's like a big way to meet people. Prior to the pandemic, we would always support people in like, yeah, do some online dating, have fun with the apps. Here's how to do this effectively, but go to house parties, meet people like mingle, right? Because in person is great. That wasn't possible once the pandemic hit. So people that are single have felt isolated and felt like, oh my gosh, I really want to meet my person, my soulmate. You know, there's some people that were kind of of the age of wanting to have kids and feeling like, oh no, you know, this is getting delayed. So we've been working with our singles on how to successfully online date and how to safely move the relationship forward, you know, from initially hooking up with someone on an app and then um, getting on Zoom and meeting each other and then being in person eventually. Like, that's okay if you do it safely. A lot of people have been scared to do that, obviously, because of COVID. So, and we've also discovered lots of um, like speed dating events online. That's actually the thing that works the best is these speed dating events online oh. versus the apps. So we've discovered a bunch of those and helped our students navigate those. And, and that's a good tip for your audience, Jacob, speed dating, it's, you know, speed dating online is pretty optimal because it's so convenient. If I were single, I would do two or three speed dating events per week, literally. Oh, wow. You know, they're like 30 bucks, you know, spend 30 to 90 bucks per week, meet five to 10 people every time. You get a lot of social interaction, which takes away from the loneliness and the isolation. You potentially meet somebody. We also, as Alicia said, support people on taking it offline. But speed dating online is really convenient. It's, it's pretty optimal. And it's generally a lot better than the apps. The apps, you know, they can be good for hooking up. They can be good for getting into a relationship, but they're way more difficult than people think. Right, right. So how does the online speed dating work? It's just so you it's just kind of like this and then it shifts through. You meet different people based off of interest or because I'm I'm uh, I had been in a relationship for 10 years and we we split ways healthily. We're still still friends. Um the like six, seven months ago. And I just totally haven't, I haven't done any of the dating apps. I haven't done any of the, any, any speed dating. So, um, I, I don't know. I just don't know a ton about it, I guess. So, uh, yeah. So the way that it works is that there's somebody facilitating it and then they're just rotating people into different breakout rooms with each other for limited amounts of time. So you can connect with someone briefly and then you can show interest in the people that you are interested in later. And they have a system for that. And then they match you. And they're usually uh, have a theme, right? Like some speed dating is about, you know, uh, whatever, you know, being Jewish or being Christian or being new age or being interested in, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, films or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the other way they sort of segment it is by age group. So you kind of, you know, you go to one that has an age group you like, maybe one that has a theme you like, and then you meet people who are in that and you get a lot more information about them because you're really interacting. 
Right. Right. Cool. Oh, th- that's awesome. I hope that uh, I hope just that little description encourages people to go to go give it a try. I've uh, I've I've been trying to flirt with the idea in my head more and try to you know think about ex- expanding and moving on to the next stage of life and uh, you know allowing myself to meet people. So I'm working on that myself, of course. Um, so I I I was kind of curious. Could you guys explain how does how does um, a lens of psychology really fit in with um, um, being in tune with our sexual selves? Like how does, how does someone who doesn't study psychology or, or know much about it, they, they might be like, well, how does, how does psychology and, you know, learning about your mind and your emotions and these sort of things, what does that have to do with sex? Yeah. So we have a term for psychology. We call it a person's relationship blueprint. Hmm. And that relationship blueprint is something that's forged in the crucible of our childhood. That sounds very profound, <laughs> but it's true. Okay. It that way. We, we, we all know it's true, right? Like our, you know, how, how our parents related with us and how we related with them and how they related with each other is basically how we learn to relate. And most people's relationship lives, whether it's colleagues or friends or romantic relationships are inside of that box. So we, it's, it's probably the most difficult and the most important part of our work, there's really sexy parts, extended orgasm and flirting and dating. We've been talking a little bit about that. That's really fun and great. You know, we love supporting people in that stuff. But the, where the biggest difference is made is usually in a person seeing and understanding their box, their relationship blueprint. So they're not limited by that box and not reproducing the same relationship or lack of relationship over and over again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I noticed, uh, um, I, I, I was watching a couple of the videos. I was trying to just pull it up here. Um, Alicia, you had talked about one that, that kind of stood out. Um, you were working with someone who, I, th- I think it was basically, um, around, around when it, ta- came, sorry, around when it came time to get sensual around these moments, um, she would kind of bring up some drama. She would, she would kind of create her own friction or, you know, and it would ca- cause an argument around these things. I thought that was, that was super interesting, you know, cause I think that, that of course seems kind of unconscious, right? You know, who, who would want to do that? Who, who would, who would, you know, knowingly try to bring arguments when, when they would like to release that tension in a, in another way. Um, could you, could you elaborate a little bit on that, Alicia? Yes. Yeah. I know the example that you're talking about and, um, with this couple that I work with. And there's something like on one level, she was like, yeah, you know, I want more sexual activity in the relationship. I want to be more turned on. They've been together for years. And she didn't quite have her hands around why they weren't. And so as we inquired into it, we realized, oh, she actually starts to feel like a little scared and like uncomfortable and unsure of herself and insecure when she gets closer to intimacy and sexuality. And she was like not aware of that. All mm. she, and she would unconsciously act out, you know, pick a little fight or find some reason to avoid and then later complain. And it's these funny things we do as human beings where we say we want one thing and then that might actually be our heart's desire. But then if we're not aware of what's unconsciously driving us, it can actually sabotage what we want. 
Yeah. Well, so, so how do we how do we bring awareness? So if anybody's, uh, you know, saying, oh, that kind of sounds like me. I think we do that. You know, I want to work on that. How do we that that first step, I think, is always awareness. Right. You know, you that's right. Get a look at awareness it. is the awareness? most important. Part. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. Elaborate. Yeah, You're right. Awareness is the most important part. There's four practices that we have our students do ideally daily. I don't know if they all do them daily, but we <laughs> recommend they do them daily. The first one is meditate. That's really just cultivating awareness. It's like having a garden of awareness in your space that you're cultivating. We think that's the most important. That's what I picked up at the Zen monastery and the yoga ashram. Second one is psychological inquiry. What's going on with me right now? Ooh, you know, I'm kind of turned on, but like, you know, I'm sort of in the opposite house, uh, opposite side of the house from Alicia and like, I'm kind of avoiding her or something like that. Like, oh, okay, what is that about? Ooh, you know, I'm kind of scared, you know, to sort out what's going on in the moment for us, bring the unconscious conscious. So that's psychology or person's relationship blueprint. We recommend some psychological inquiry every day. Doesn't need to be a big therapy session. It can be two minutes of journal writing or just sitting down in an easy chair saying, hey, what's what's going on with me right now? You know, like that. Third thing is body practice, especially in the pandemic, particularly important. People are really in their heads as human beings. Our brain is most developed of all of our organs and systems compared to other animals. So people just end up in their heads. And when we're spending a lot of time without social interaction in our houses, on Zoom, etc., really easy to do that, right? So body practice could be anything. Right now, I've got this mat under my feet. You can't see it, but like I'm rolling around this sort of ball with my feet and that kind of thing. And I've got a yoga block there and there's some texture and like, you know, we've got sort of yoga props kind of all oh, around our house. <laughs> so we're sort of like always doing yoga. It could be walking, body practice could be walking around barefoot. It could be lifting weights. It could be taking a shower. It could be anything, but just that there's a consistent practice to stay in one's body. And then the fourth one is sensual practice, which can be anything of the senses from music to incense, all the way to sexual practice, practiced alone or with a partner. We have a whole set of practices. So daily practice is what makes a difference. That's another thing I picked up in the Zen monastery. People kind of think that intellectually knowing something is really living it or, or knowing it, or but that's not true. Mm -hmm. So the fam most famous Zen master said, practice is enlightenment. I th that just totally blew me away. So those are the ones that we found make the biggest difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking about, uh, I, I forget who says it, but before enlightenment, uh, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, I love uh, mentioning that practice, you know, in, in and I think that is something very important, especially with us, you know, we're more on our computers. A lot of us have switched our jobs to Zoom and, and these sort of things. I think, uh, you know, the, the act of movement, you're saying you're moving your feet around, you know, I, I have a I have one of those massage guns. I like to use that every morning. And I, th I think that probably does help, you know, um, th is that kind of related? Would you say, you know, as we feel more present, confident and, um, you know, connected to, to our bodies that helps us be more open and willing to, you know, meet that within our partner, would you say? Definitely. We often say that you could put any, two people together that are, you know, whoever they're attracted to, a man with a woman, or it could be woman, woman, man, man. And if you're open 
in your body and your heart and your mind, like you will be turned on towards each other and you will get along. The mind closure and all those patterns is what gets in the way. You know, couples will often come to us like we have decreased chemistry and what do we do and should we still be together? And we're like, there's nothing wrong with your bodies. Your bodies work perfectly. So moving through those patterns and opening the body and being in the body can lead to a lot of connection and chemistry. Right. Um, did you guys, I mean, you, you, you mentioned awakenings for you. Did you have awakenings of, uh, I, I asked this because did, did you have awakenings of kind of realizing that you were disconnected from your body before at all? Um, I, I feel like w- when I first kind of discovered uh, meditation, yoga a few years ago, I'd always been athletic and worked out, but I, I had no idea. I didn't realize I was kind of like disconnected from my body. A lot of my, my workouts were more uh, <clears throat> ego lifting, you know, looking, looking in the mirror and, um, it's it's so hard to put my finger on and try to describe with words, but I felt uh, when I f- discovered yoga, I started doing meditation, I really started understanding being in your body, being connected, you know, feeling feeling your shirt touch your skin instead of being lost in the mind and feeling, you know, um, temperature throughout your body and in different pressure points. And um, the, the I think the, the first opening of discovering the the awareness of kind of keeping your your mind your we're constantly thinking all the time right and and I I believe that a lot of us don't know that we're thinking we don't notice that we're thinking a lot of us haven't discovered that awareness um, and it's still kind of new to me just a couple of years but it did help me come back into my body a lot so is is there anything we could touch on right here um, uh, to, to speak to people who might feel some sort of disconnect from their body. Maybe they haven't explored too much, too much yoga. Um, they haven't really dove into meditation. They haven't really looked into um, their thought process and how it affects our, our physical bodies here. Because I, I think if, if, if we can all connect to our bodies a little bit more, of course, that's going to help in our, our romantic relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything you said is absolutely right. Uh, people are disconnected from their bodies and people are disconnected from their experience in a fault zone. The Matrix is a perfect metaphor for that, you know, that movie in some alternate reality. We can imagine stuff, and people mostly are living in kind of an imaginary universe given by their relationship blueprint and their thought process and their work and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Almost all spiritual traditions use the body as a portal as a gateway to presence because the body is actually happening i could imagine pink elephants but there there are actually no pink elephants here you know but my body is here your body is there you know our alicia's body is here you know that's something that's actually happening so concentration in the body serves as a ballast or an anchor to the presence and to presence and then from there, we can get into more subtle dimensions of being or being a human being, you know, emotions and feelings and things that are actually real. They're as there as the body. You know, love, for example, 
right? Love really is there. I mean, if we really feel into reality deeply, love, everything is love. Everything is made of love. It's very interesting, right? Mm -hmm. From my childhood, I never would have expected that. It was a big way. <laughs> it was like, oh, wow. You know? <laughs> you know? Now, in the background, we all kind of know that, but we do so much imagining, usually of negative stuff and, you know, all kinds of stuff because of what we see on TV and lifestyle and our histories and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But focus in the body trains one to concentrate and not be distracted by the mind. And concentration is in short order these days, nowadays more than ever because of the speed of technology. So body practice is more required now than really it's ever been. And it's a portal to awakening, to being, to love. And within oneself and in, in a partnership, you know, romantic love and chemistry and turn on and union and intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I like that. That's a great explanation there. Um, as you were talking about us being kind of more disconnected from our bodies, I was thinking about technology um, and, and how it's changed. There's a lot of wonderful benefits, right? You know, we have online dating, we have the um, dating apps. I mean, we could have this conversation. That's so great. Um, but the, what, what do you, do you guys have any, um, uh, opinions or recommendations or, um, um, experience with people, uh, around online porn? Um, is, is that something that's, that, that we can do healthily? Is that something that maybe is better off, you know, for relationships to stay away from? Do you have any recommendations there? It's the overuse that is the problem. It's hmm. not porn. That's the problem, right? I mean, a little porn is fine if you enjoy that. And of course there's some that's, you know, <laughs> more tasteful or not, you know, whatever night more well done or more whatever than others, but everybody has their own preferences and things they like to explore. So it's really not the porn, right? It's the overuse, the misuse, and like replacing real intimacy with that more erotic staring at a screen and that's difficult, you know, because, you know, human beings are not wired up to have, uh, you know, potential sexual visuals in, in our pocket, on our phone, any time of day, right. you know, for guys in particular, that's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, like I remember when I was, I don't know how old I was, 14 or something like that. And like, you know, it, it was like, you know, and I f first saw my first magazine that had naked women in and that kind of stuff. Like it was weeks of like walking by the newsstand, and like, you know, being too nervous to do anything. And then like oh finally buying it and like the guy wrapping it in a newspaper, oh, you yeah. know, like, bag, yeah. you know, and then I hid it in my monopoly set, of, oh. you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it was like a big deal and a whole process. And that like, and it was a few relatively tasteful pictures. It was like Playboy or something, right? You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, mm -hmm. not necessarily realistic pictures, but, you know, because nobody really looks like that exactly. But you know what I mean? It was, a, you know, it now it's very hard on males in particular, but both sexes that there's this massive funnel of any kind of sex you want to see, like available right in your pocket. Mm -hmm. And most of it is very low quality, very goal oriented. So it's, you know, it's a little bit like being an alcoholic and living in a bar. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it's, uh, it's interesting thinking about how for you, when, when you first um, do dove into porn, like how different it would be for, you know, young people now 
where again, it's, it's, it's all right, well, I'm going to check this thing out. And then you just click a couple times and you have thousands and millions of just the most insane, you know, uh, uh, just I, I, I think I, I imagine as a young person, you know, diving into the world of, of online pornography, it'd be just mind blowing to see all, all, all of these things before you really know any like knowledge or um, real, you know, h- how it may be in real life in in, in um, what you can expect going forward. I think we probably do put we bring in different expectations into our relationships um, w- without the knowledge, uh, uh, of, of things being different than they, than they appear on the screen. So, um, how do we, let's see, how do we, um, bring in, oh, oh, sorry. Here's where I want to go. Uh, diet. I did want to mention, uh, apologize. I'm a little all over the place today. Changing diet. Uh, you did mention that diet was something important. Um, when it comes to intimacy, is this something that could help, uh, you know, relationships who have been together for a while? Um, maybe they're, they're kind of like losing some of their spark cause they're eating bad food during times that they could be kind of keeping a little bit lighter. Is, is that where diet comes in? Well, di- diet's really important and, and everything that you're saying sort of point, there's a word that comes to mind with all the sort of different areas that you brought up, Jacob, and that's lifestyle. Right. You know, like how we're living. I would say the biggest challenge people have to great romantic relationships is their relationship blueprint, their sort of internal pattern. But then there is the external pattern, how much they're working, what they're eating, pornography, technology. So the the way we work with people with those issues is or those sort of external environmental issues is setting up a life that actually works for the person and for their remote, uh, romantic life and relationship life. Because most people's lives are not really actually set up to have a great relationship. You know, if you're a couple and, you know, we have a, a boy, a beautiful boy, you know, but we work with each other and like we work in our house and all the rest of this kind of stuff. So we have as much time together as we want. If you're two people working two 50 hour week jobs and you have a child, you know, much less in a pandemic, like where is the time for the relationship, right? You know, and then if if there's like, you know, eating things that are kind of draining, you know, that kind of thing, like, okay, then there's less vitality. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's, you know, a lot of watching porn, then that's usually kind of hidden and secret and private. And that brings division and a lack of turn on, especially because, for men in particular, who, who most porn is watched by men, you know, it's, it's very goal oriented or ejaculation focused. So if a guy's watching a lot of porn and ejaculating a lot, he's going to be really drained. There's not going to be much response left for real women in his life or if he's in a relationship, a real woman in his life. So all of these are really big issues. And that's the second category of challenges that we work with people on the environment and the external diets important. Um, you know, and if I were to, I mean, that we're, you know, that's not our like super duper specialty, but, uh, yeah, eating healthy is really important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a couple that I'm working with and they, they're a young couple. They have two little kids, you know, they both work these crazy tech jobs and they're just like, ah, and one of the things they said in one of the first couple sessions I had with them, they're like, we're couch potatoes, you know, yeah. after the whole day and the, the work and the kids and then they're in bed and like, we just want to 
on the couch and eat potato chips and watch Netflix. There's nothing wrong with that inherently, but there wasn't time set aside for their relationship. You know, I mean, it's one thing and it's a beautiful thing to have goals in your relationship life, a vision like, yeah, let's connect more. Let's have more sex. Let's be more intimate. But it's so important to actually get that into your schedule and your calendar. I mean, we're huge fans of actually scheduling, you know, for people that are in relationship, we call it pleasure time. It is literally in our calendar. Every morning at 9.15 is our pleasure time. You know, we have sex and practice extended orgasm and talk and hang out. And then we have other times, a few times a week to do this relationship inquiry together. You have to like put it in there. It's not just going to happen. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. I I really like that. Uh, planning it, putting it on the calendar. What uh, is there any other bits of pieces of advice that you can offer um, people in relationships during the pandemic? I've I've plenty of friends um, who who I'm sure could 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 use some advice around these these realms. You know, who uh, suddenly all all the fun because because I think of all the uh, the date nights that we're not no longer able to do, or, or you know maybe the date nights are just different. They're kind of at home. Um, things are starting to slowly open back up. There's some outdoor seating and stuff at, at certain bars and whatnot. But uh, yeah, so so what what are some other uh, uh, helpful tips and tricks for people in relationships to kind of keep the spark going amidst the pandemic here? All right, I'll say two or three things if you want to add any. Sure. Um, the, to ride on the coattails of what Alicia was saying, you know, take an hour a day and have it be pleasure time. It doesn't necessarily need to be sexual, but if you're in a relationship, have an hour a day that you're spending with each other doing something fun. And if that time can't be found, then declare a breakdown. You know, if, if, if we can't find an hour a day for the relationship, it's a really good idea to say, hey, wow, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something that's not working. And that's often difficult for people to just simply acknowledge neutrally without making it bad, but just telling the truth. Like, okay, you know, we can't find an hour a day. That's a problem thing, you know, like that. So find an hour a day for uh, having fun, for maybe romantic connection, maybe going for a walk, you know, that kind of thing. Second thing is even in the pandemic, because we have a child, right? So, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, we, we couldn't take him to playgrounds. You know, so it was a, you know, it was a really big change. So I bought a tourist book <laughs> for San Francisco <laughs> and it turned out to be a gold mine. It was amazing. It's like I discovered San Francisco. So even though we're in a pandemic, there's tons of places to go. And we started going out more and yeah, we can't do the usual things, but it's kind of like where we started our conversation, Jacob. If we embrace change, there's usually all kinds of opportunities. So it turned into, you know, going all, I mean, San Francisco has like six beaches and, you know, all kinds of natural things that I didn't know about. And now we're going to all those kind of places and picnics and all kinds of stuff. So it does take adapting. So the first thing is set up some time for the relationship. The second thing is be willing to adapt and find the things that you can do. And you might be really surprised because, you know, there there might actually be even better things to do than before. 
you know, for example, I watch more Netflix now than I used to. But one thing I found is that like, I really like documentaries. There's like a gazillion great documentaries. So instead of watching all this like stuff that's crushing my spirit, I'm watching things that like I'm learning and it's interesting and I'm reading more and reading. I like biographies and, you know, so it's yes. kind of like that. Yes. And, and related to what you were just saying, Erwan, um, to wake up to the fact that like, wow, we're in a relationship and we're having trouble making time for each other every day. It's like, unless it was an arranged marriage or an arranged relationship, which does happen, but not a lot, you know, in this country, you got together with the person because you have the hots for them, you know, like it was, it was hot. It was sexy at some point. And that's why you're with the person. That's the main reason. It's not, you know, there's other good things we do with our partners. Like we have families, some of us, or we get into a house and we live together. We build a life together. But to ignore or deprioritize that main reason you're together is like, you know, it's never urgent unless it gets urgent, you know, <laughs> you just want to nurture it. So too practical to make everything we said a little bit, you know, practical if I love what Alicia just said, if if a couple said, OK, we're going to use this pandemic as an opportunity to learn extended orgasm. Right. And then they took that that sort of condensed space that they're in and then they use that and focus that, you know, in the long run, the pandemic would have been a blessing. Right. Or for a couple or people who are single, if they use, okay, we're, we're in all this sort of private space together, we're gonna use it as a spiritual retreat or a meditation retreat, mm -hmm. right? In the long run, it would be a blessing. So, you know, it, anything to, you know, I, I've heard lectures by people who are in solitary confinement and used it as an opportunity to meditate. The, the, the most obvious example, it's not exactly solitary confinement, but is Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela came out of 20 years of prison, tortured yeah. most of those days, a better human being than he went in. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. It really is all about your, your framing, you know, your mindset that you're bringing into it. You know, I, I think a lot of us uh, could benefit from kind of shifting our, all right, how can we turn this into a positive? How can we... Uh, you know, add some spice into our love life and, and uh, not, not kind of take this beating from the, the lockdown, so to say. Um, I do want to uh, explore a bit more on the extended orgasm. So that was new information to me. I, uh, I, I honestly can't say that I had, I had ever heard about that. Um, I, I thought it was the typical, you know, six to 12 second situation. I didn't realize uh, th there was a, a opportunity for, you know, this e extended sensual experience in our uh, human sexuality. So can we explore the difference? Uh, I'm sure you guys have already explained this a, a few times in other videos, which people can check out on your YouTube. Um, well, could you explore the difference or explain the difference between extended orgasm and regular? Yes. So what most people know as orgasm is like a climax orgasm, right? We call it traditional peak orgasm. You know, you're going along, you know, let's say you're with someone, you're making out, you're getting more turned on then it kind of plateaus a little bit. Then, then it spikes up and you go over the edge and have that rapid set of contractions and that extreme pleasure. <sighs> you had an orgasm. That's awesome. Now, extended orgasm is having all of those same signs of orgasm, 
clinical signs like involuntary contractions in the genitals and you know the extreme pleasure in the genitals which is not really clinical you can't really measure that but that pleasure and increased heart rate and all these signs over an extended period of time your body has the ability to release into a state of orgasm over time versus having one little boop and it's over. And how that's possible is by being relaxed. Because usually when people have a very high level of sensitivity, especially in their genitals, they're very tense. Right. So they tense, 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 you know, the, the genitals are gripped and then they just let go and relax or they get fatigued and the genitals relax and then they crash over the edge very rapidly. But if you get to that high level of sensitivity, that's what we call the orgasm line. It's actually Masters and Johnson's, the clinical sexologist from the last century. They, they distinguish the orgasm line above this level of sensitivity in the genitals, a person will have an orgasm. So what we added to that is if you get to that level of sensitivity and you're relaxed, you'll stay above that line and you'll have all those signs of orgasm that Alicia was talking about, involuntary contractions in the genitals, engorgement, release, et cetera, for really as long as you want to. So what you need is high sensitivity in the genitals above the orgasm line and relaxation. So, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a little bit like if you were filling a bathtub, instead of sort of filling the bathtub with water and then the water level rises, you know, then you're above the, a certain line of sensitivity, let's say, you know, water line, and then you open the drain, you turn the faucet off, you open the drain, the water level goes down. Instead, you have the water rising and the drain open. The drain open is the orgasm, the release, and you have the sensitivity increasing okay. through all the body practice and meditation and central practice. You're really good at adding chemistry and turn on a mile a minute, but you're not tensing up around it. So then the body stay, you get past a certain very, very high level and the body just stays at that level. It's funny because tomorrow mm -hmm. we have uh, an extended orgasm mm -hmm. course online. Yes. We have courses about it because, you know, most people can, they're like, oh, I can kind of get that. You sort of feel like, yeah, my body is capable of that much pleasure, but people aren't quite sure how to get there. You know, women, especially, we work with a lot of women who come to us and they're like, you know, I've never really had an orgasm or I'm, I'm not sure if I've had one or um, I can have them by myself, but it's hard with a partner or like, I have orgasms, I want more. And, you know, from wherever you are, you can learn how to have extended orgasm. Right. Yeah. So, so why is this, why is this such new information, the extended orgasm? You know, you'd think we've, we have so many years of exploring our bodies and, and learning about um, our bodies and minds and how our psychology works with our bodies. Why does it seem like this, like, um, you, you know, padlocked, thing or something, you know, cause it, it seems like a, a beautiful, wonderful thing that, that, uh, um, you know, a lot more people should, should be able to explore and experience in their life. Is it, is it just kind of like the, the Western model of, of society life? Uh, wh wh why is this so, you know, I, I guess, you know, what, why is it, it, it's strange to me that I'm just now learning about this. You know, you think that it would be 
information floating around about this. You, you would think, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but people are very sexually repressed. I mean, on average, people in the East are more sexually repressed oh, wow. than they are in the West. I mean, sexual repression really is the norm. And you can look at it from a psychological viewpoint, conditioning and childhood and life and culture and all the rest of that. But it's probably better to take a sort of longer view, you know, maybe a historical or evolutionary view. You know, sex is a big deal, you know, throughout most of human history, even prehistory, uh, you know, getting pregnant is a super big deal. It changes life completely. Um, you know, it's, it's potentially dangerous diseases, all kinds of stuff. So it's, you know, the pill condoms, this kind of thing. These are this little tiny little blip, you know, in, in human evolution, like this little tiny fraction in like miles and miles of, you know, history and time and like that. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, holding and gripping around sex, you know, even mammals, if you look at mammals, like, you know, their sex is kind of like, they get kind of agitated about it. And it's kind of a big deal and like that. So, you know, we're just catching up with, uh, what's possible sexually and relaxing during sex, you know, as a species, we're just kind of opening up to it. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the cultures and the norms are, are, you know, just starting to kind of release and unfold and all of that tension and fear is held in people's bodies. Mm. You know, people are, you know, kind of constrained and tight and, and afraid and, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a really big deal to open up sexually with somebody. You know, there's a lot, you know, you really, to, especially for extended orgasm, you have to open your heart and your mind and your body. And like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, taking uh, acid. It's going to be a really good trip or it's going to be really difficult, you know. And but once you get the hang of it, that's why we work very gradually with people. We usually have people start with just, you know, with their partner or if they're single with themselves, but let's say with a partner. You know, one person will just put their hand on the partner's heart and partner's abdomen. We call it deep touch. You know, maybe do a few weeks of just deep touch. Or in the pleasure course, even couples will have them practice individually masturbating, kind of learning about this kind of thing, so that the entry is very, very gradual, so that their psychology and their mind can keep up with the intensity and so they don't basically blow out right. or go unconscious. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, I, I love that you guys are teaching about this because I feel like it's a, you know, it's, it's a corner of, of conversation that, um, you know, I, I think our, our, our culture does have, uh, you know, a bit, a bit of shame and, and repression around, around, uh, sexual, you know, uh, sex, intimacy, uh, you know, a, a lot of our romantic sides. So I, I think that it's great that you guys are doing this when you were talking about, um, Erwan, when you're talking about, you know, the, the release, like the, the tightening that we have, uh, interiorly, the tightening that we have of our muscles and the tension that we hold, uh, th that was when I first started doing yoga and meditation, uh, uh, just, just a few years ago, I, that was something that I learned. I was like, Oh, I didn't realize it, but I was, I'm holding tension in areas that I never knew. And, you know, you do guided meditations, they'll, you'll be sitting there for a few minutes following your breath. And they'll inquire you to, you know, uh, let go, let go of the holding you're doing around your eyes, 
let go of the holding you're doing around your arms, that sort of thing. So um, I, I, I imagine that when it comes to the extended orgasm, it's probably a, a lot of that. Like you're kind of letting go of things that you didn't realize you were holding internally. Does, does that sound yeah. all right? Yeah. Yes, especially your mind. <laughs> especially your mind, yeah. Yeah, and, and, to, and to, do, to let go in a somatic way. The work we do with people is very somatic. Uh, you know, for example, we might have people breathe into their pelvis, you know, breathe into their pelvis, feel it, you know, notice that tension they're probably holding, gradually release it, actually practice some exercises like a Kegel, pulling the genitals in, but, or a Mula Bandha, like a yogic lock in the pelvis, but then also pushing out. You can read all those old texts, the Taoist texts and the yogic texts, none of them actually even talk about pushing out, right? They all talk about the Mula Bandha kind of pulling in, but pushing out is actually more important because there's already so much tension there. So we have people practice those kind of exercises, breathe the energy up the spine, down the front. That's a classic Taoist exercise, breathing up the spine down the front or a Kundalini exercise up the spine, right? And in our addition is we really bring it into everyday life and relationship and orgasm and emphasize the pushing out and how do you keep the genitals in that kind of nice, relaxed, juicy place. It accentuates spiritual life and chemistry and romantic life. And, you know, it just, it just kind of makes us happier because there's not a missing link in the chain of our body and mind. When there's a missing link in that chain, you know, there's a, there's less zing, jing, enthusiasm, vibrancy, energy, you know, fun, turn on, let, you know, it's, it's just less of a good time. So, you know, so sometimes I, I don't say it this way anymore, <laughs> but, you know, I used to say, you know, can people take it the wrong way, but, you know, we're, we're kind of a school about learning how to party, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> but like, you know, people nowadays think that that means, you know, taking a bunch of drugs, that's not really our thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I resonate with that. I like that. I like uh, I, I, I like that phrasing. I think that still works. Um, well, so so we are getting up here in time, you two. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you coming on here and uh, and allowing me to, to poke and prod and ask ask uh, the questions. So you guys have have some workshops who you can find. Uh, we can find you on YouTube. Um, you do have an online online uh, website. Where, where else can we find you? Where else if, if we want if anybody wants to dive more into this, where, where do they go? Yes. Yeah, so the best way to do that, actually, if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, cool, you know, I want to know what extended orgasm is or oh, I want to get into that relationship or whatever. If something just really touched you, I'm offering love life consultations and you can set one up with me by texting Erwan Dave on teachings. I'll give you the phone number. It's 415-308-9580. It's 415-308-9580. And you just tell me your name and that you heard about us here on the podcast and that you want to set up a consultation and then we'll schedule it from there. And in the consultation, you can tell me whatever you want to tell me about your, your goals, your challenges, your desires and your love life and your sex life. And uh, we'll look and see which of our programs would be the best fit. We have private coaching and we have classes like weekly year long classes and weekend intensives and all sorts of fun stuff. Wonderful. 
Beautiful. Uh, okay, well, let, let's do one, one last question and then we'll end it here. Uh, for, for each of you could answer individually. Um, what does the world need more of right now? Um, you know, uh, consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Awareness, yes. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, uh, well, besides when I said love, sweet love in my head with the song, uh, like relaxation and enjoyment. Perfect. Per perfect answers. Uh, I really appreciate it. You too. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you guys doing, doing this work. You know, like, like I said, to me anyway, there, there's not a ton of people that I know of that are doing these things. And I think, uh, we should, we should be invited more to, uh, explore our own, uh, physiology, psychology, how it all relates. Uh, you know, the, the wonderful experiences we're all able to have as humans on this planet. So, uh, thanks again so much, you guys. Uh, I, I will be in touch via email. Listeners, take care of yourselves. Drink some water. Check out these two. Uh, send some send some texts to Alicia if you are interested in exploring more. Thanks again. Take care, guys. Conversations with ourselves. Knowledge is power.